0: Welcome to Mission Revive, a podcast dedicated to hope and healing through God's transforming love, where your hosts, anchored in truth and armed with faith, are changing the world and reviving hearts with Jesus, one conversation at a time.
1: Hi, I'm Bob Newberry. I'm on the founding board of directors of uh, Revive Hope and Healing Ministries, and extremely excited about uh, today's podcast, but I'll let my colleague uh, uh, lay that out for you here, okay?
2: Thanks, Bob. Yeah. Hi, it's Ann Costa. I'm the founder of Revive Hope and Healing, and yes, I'm very thrilled to be able to introduce our, our guest here today. Um he is uh, Father Jason Hage. He uh, grew up in Brockport, New York. He was a serious hockey player and, uh, in high school, winning the New York State title in his junior year. He attended Xavier University in Cincinnati and earned his bachelor's degree in philosophy. And then upon graduation from Xavier, he entered St. Mary's Seminary and uh, University in Baltimore. Maryland, and he earned his Master's of Divinity there, as well as his Sacred Bachelor's in Theology. I think this really speaks to how much of a commitment that our priests go through before they ever even start ministering to us. Father Hage spent the first three years of his priestly ministry at Holy Family Church in Syracuse. It is, I think, the biggest parish in our diocese, where he uh, worked intensely with the youth and the young adult ministry there. In 19, I mean, sorry, in 2015, Bishop Cunningham appointed Father Hage as the coordinator of the Fisherman's Club, which you can probably guess what that is. It is the diocesan outreach to college aged men who could be discerning or maybe discerning the priesthood or were discerning the priesthood. So in 2017, Father Hage was appointed the pastor of St. Mary's Church in Hamilton. Listen to the St. Joan of Arc's mission and Morrisville with sacramental responsibilities at Colgate University's Newman Center. Um, and then, as if that wasn't enough for our young Father Hage, um, uh, he be, uh, Bishop Lucia appointed him the Director of the Office of Vocations promotion on October 1st, 2019. In 2020, he was appointed Pastor of the four parishes at Route 20 Catholic. Okay, so given all of that, we're not even going to talk very much about that today, because and he also wrote a book, and uh, come on, uh, come on, uh, on Father Hage, because you had all of that, I don't know where you got the time, but you wrote an amazing book. I want to tell you, it doesn't happen very often in my life, but I read this book, And I wanted every single person I know to have a copy of it. That is just how much it profoundly it affected me. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. And um, can you tell me what I want you to, I want to make sure we're pronouncing it right. What is the title of your book?
3: It's the Cyrenian Way,
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
3: Spiritual Poverty and the Art of Accompaniment. So the Cyrenian Way.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a, it's, it's, um. Is this, is this a, a devotion that came to you through prayer? Is it something that's known in the Catholic world? Or is it something that's just distinctly something that has developed through your prayer life?
3: Yeah, it actually uh, developed in my uh, spiritual direction uh, relationship with priests who were acted as spiritual directors, both in seminary and after I was ordained a priest in the Diocese of Syracuse. Um, and so it was in my spiritual direction appointments that, uh, you know, talking about my prayer life and what's coming up in my prayer life. Uh, this just kept coming to the surface. So back when I was in second year of theology in seminary, uh, I was opening up to my spiritual director and I'm like, why do I, why do I keep praying about spiritual poverty? This seems like such a, like who prays about that? That's so weird. Like just about my own poverty before the Lord and just being amazed by the grace that he shares with us. When I really feel I have nothing to offer, but my love and attention. And I just feeling like You know, a sense of poverty about that, but also like Mm -hmm. leaning into that and praying into that. And uh, my spiritual director is like, this is kind of interesting, you know, like why, why this, you know, especially somebody who's, you know, third year into formation as a a seminarian, you know, it's just an odd thing to pray about. And it just kept Mm -hmm. coming up. And then it kind of got put in the back burner. It was ordained a priest 2014. uh, Father Dar Schoenhofen is my spiritual director. And it just started coming up to the surface again. And I'm like, what is this? And so we've been talking it out for like the last, you know, I've been ordained eight years. So this came up pretty much like a year or two after I was ordained a priest just started coming up in force. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. So we've been praying about it together for a couple of years. And finally, two years ago, he said, you know, I think it's time that you start writing this down. And I'm like, what? Like I <laughs> never, you know, and especially with all the, the responsibilities I had at the time, I'm like, what? Like, why would I ever... I would never think of myself pursuing like a book. He's like, listen, Jason, if, even if it's not published, he goes, but I think it will. He's like, even if it's not published, he goes, I want you to do this just for the sake of your spiritual, your spiritual life. Like just putting words on it, trying to put it to paper, like just that exercise is going to be so good for your soul. And so he said, this, just do it for the Lord. And I was like, okay. Cause I kind of have like a unofficial promise of obedience to my spiritual director. So I'm like, okay, if you ask me to do this, like, guess I better do it. So, uh, and he said, only write when you feel inspired to write. And I was like, interesting. He's like, no, no, you're not trying to like, you know, publish a book, write a book. Meet a
2: deadline, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's just like, when you feel inspired,
3: when you feel inspired, let it flow. And he goes, when you don't, you don't. He goes, you might go months without writing. So I, I put down, you know, I felt inspired to write the first chapter over two years ago. And it's amazing how entering into the shutdown, of the pandemic, totally like focused me in on this spiritual theme of spiritual poverty, but also the art of accompaniment. And so I would go months in between writing, and all of a sudden I'd feel inspired. Chapter would pop out, and th- and then I started uh, in conversation with a spiritual director. I said, "How do we, how do we like let others enter into this as it's being formed and fashioned?" So. Uh, he said, well, you know, you want to make sure this is accessible to anybody, wherever they're coming from, that these can be actual spiritual supports and pillars they can cling to, to go deeper in their intimacy with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up calling together a group of laymen from our diocese who are all working, have children, uh, you know, and, and they're just trying to live their Catholic Christian life. And so every time I would produce a chapter I would always send it out to this group and they would read it, react, and then we'd all meet, do a prayer meeting, usually at Christ the King retreat house in Syracuse. And we would uh, pray and then we'd react and we would just go around. And it's amazing how I felt confirmed in what the spirit was sharing because of their reaction, because they were like, this is what I'm hungry for. And this is, uh, this speaks to me. And, you know, as a layman who has, you know, wife, children, working full time, like this actually gives spiritual pillars I can cling to in my mm-hmm. Catholic Christian life to go deeper in my pursuit of Jesus. So that's where it kind of all came from, um, and never would have expected that it would actually be published one day. Can
1: I wow. can I jump in here? Absolutely. Um, I I like your your use of the word pillar, Father. Uh, um, and I I I told uh, my colleagues here earlier that I would have spent. Less energy, uh, not underlining what I ended up underlining because the majority of the book is underlined. And and I'm I'm struck really by by um, the economy of your use of language and and uh, everything is just uh, just solid and and really riveting. My uh, so how about if we uh, dive in and look at some of those what I understood to to be your pillars okay and 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 you've you've already talked a little bit about spiritual poverty um but I'd ask you to distinguish between uh spiritual impoverishment and spiritual poverty and and why are those two concepts so important to your uh uh to your book Yeah, no, that's a great question.
3: And I think you're right to say, even after after I was writing the book, I just said, wow, it seems like these pillars are kind of popping up, you know, and Marian devotion, Eucharistic devotion, and then like this devotion to poverty and silence and just all those things. But it's funny, the the distinction between spiritual poverty and spiritual impoverishment, I actually didn't plan on writing at all. It totally happened in the midst of writing. I was like, I've never thought about this before until I started writing about it. Uh, and it was, I just think something the Lord was sharing with me. So I, I was, I'm always been devoted to St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, uh, always so inspired by her story, but especially her call story where she hears on that train back from retreat before she founded the missionaries of charity. She said, you know, I heard a, a clear, distinct voice in my heart say, I thirst. And I'm just like, man, that's, that's my heart. Like, I just feel like the Lord is always calling me to like, just satisfy his thirst for my faith for my love and attention. And I'm always like anxious to try to figure out what he wants for me to be able to console his heart. And, uh, and so I just thought about like Mother Teresa out in the streets of Calcutta. And she was like finding those who are the poorest of the poor, those who are in, truly in poverty, lifting them off the street, managing their wounds, accompanying them, even to eternity, right? She would be by their bedside as they're dying. And I just thought so beautiful. There's something about it so you know, just captures everything about our Catholic Christian life, but then I thought, what about us at home who don't have access to a mission territory and can't satisfy the thirst of Jesus in that dramatic of a way, uh, is, you know, going heroically onto the streets and, and picking up the poorest of the poor, bringing the shelters, feeding them, clothing them, and then it hit me when I was writing this book, like, wow, all of our relationships, our network of relationships, what if we saw them as the streets of Calcutta? like what if every time I encountered somebody, family, friends, strangers, loved ones, whoever it is, like what if my network of relationships, those are all streets, paths, to those who are just laying on the streets of Calcutta, just crying out in hunger and in thirst for more, and so I think like that's the, where the distinction came, like how many souls out there who are, live within my sphere of influence, who I meet, every day sometimes, every week, from time to time, maybe monthly, that they're just truly spiritually impoverished, like they want God, but they don't know what that means and and how to get there, and they don't know how to satisfy their deepest spiritual hungers and thirsts, and I thought, man, what if we created like a missionary group, the Cyrenian Apostolate, that would finally wake up and realize that the poor are standing right in front of them and their family their friends, their loved ones, strangers, neighbors. And what if we thought, man, maybe it's incumbent on me to be able to, to care for those who are spiritually impoverished, again, who have this deep hunger and thirst for God, which we all share in us as is, is children of God. But a lot of times people don't know how to get there, what that path even looks like, how to even get started. And they're literally just hungering. They're hungering for more. And sometimes they don't know what it is. And so the difference then is that those who we all start out, I think, spiritually impoverished, right, we have this deep hunger, longing and thirst for God, that we might not even know is for God, we try to fill it up with all these other things right? And it could be wealth, pleasure, power, honor, as St. Thomas Aquinas says the four great substitutes. Um, that's okay, maybe that's God calling there. Yeah, oh, really. Sorry.
2: <laughs>
3: that's okay. <laughs> so like, you know, I think we're all drawn to the one of those four great substitutes that St. Thomas talks about, which is wealth, pleasure, power, honor. And so what if we all of a sudden recognize our own spiritual poverty and all of that to say, how can I help others tap into their spiritual hungering and thirsting for the living God and actually like accompany them to a place where they realize that they don't have to come to God with anything but their hearts? Like, all God is thirsting for is their love and attention. He's not looking for even their gifts, their talents, their wisdom, their wit. He's just like, hey, He loves you before you can offer anything to the building up of his kingdom. He loves you before you can contribute anything to his holy church. Like he is just madly in love you and pursuing you day and night. And like, I think helping accompany people from spiritual impoverishment to spiritual poverty, uh, that's where we can stand before God and say, hey, he's not looking for anything else but my love and attention. And I come before him with empty hands. And I say, Lord, I'm just here to love you because I first experienced the love you shared with me. So that's kind of where that distinction comes from.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, and you want to jump in or should I keep rolling? Well, I think it's
2: interesting that that phone call just, just came in at that time. Cause that is someone in my life that the Lord placed there who calls all the time. And she's in a place of very deep impoverishment really. And so to be able to respond and to, to be supported in that, like when you were talking, I, I think that, that that desire in your heart, once you've received even just a little bit or understanding of how Jesus loves us, the desire to want to turn around and share that is a deep longing, right? I mean, you want to. And, and I think, you know, when you think about Simon of Cyrene, at first he wasn't so sure about it, right? Right. But then as he walked with Jesus and he saw the suffering, all of a sudden his eyes opened to the real suffering that's going on. And it seems like you're asking us to have our eyes open and our hearts open to all the suffering that is around us, right? Just right near to us that um you, you you draw you get drawn into that and you want to you want to share that in such a beautiful way and i and i i love that this devotion really supports that and and helps that and defines that for us you know because yeah i think we're all you know love mother teresa we all would love to you know walk away from our lives and go do something noble and wonderful right even if it's hidden But we we have to turn around and do some really mundane things, and yet still there's that richness, that way that we can love God and others, right?
3: Absolutely. And I think really that's the spiritual core of the Sirene Apostolate, is to first allow yourself to recognize how loved you are in your poverty. Like the Lord doesn't want anything but your love and attention, and that you are beloved. Like I think we hear those words as Catholics, we have no idea what that means. You know, Father, to can, me about that.
1: Uh, allow me to interrupt. How uh, how does one cultivate cultivate that awareness? Uh, how does uh, can you can you offer some thoughts along those lines?
3: Absolutely, and I think it goes to that second spiritual pillar laid out in the book, Bob. Great question. Is uh, the call and the silence that you can only truly understand how beloved you are by taking time for the prayer of quiet for silent prayer and especially in front of the the presence of the blessed sacrament because it's only when we're willing to go to a place of solitude you know we're so afraid to go to solitude because we just think oh that means alone that means i'll experience loneliness but for the catholic christian like jesus lives in the inner sanctuary of your heart like he's waiting for you day and night and the only way you can enter into that sanctuary is through the prayer of quiet through silence and i think the more we are able and willing and comfortable with sitting in the quiet we recognize that when we go to a place of solitude we're not alone like the lord is waiting for us there and he wants to minister to us and the way he ministers to us in the silence is by just speaking to our hearts in that quiet you are loved like stop trying to earn your earn love stop trying to you know stop being desperate for love like you have all the love you'll ever need from your father in heaven like This love is eternal and it's on fire for you. Just think of the image of the sacred heart. Like his heart is literally bursting with flames just because he loves you and he hands it to you every time you go to that place of silence. So I think being okay with saying, you know what, everything shuts down every day for at least 10 minutes. And then just allow myself to enter into the inner sanctuary of my heart to let Jesus speak those words to me. You are loved. And we have to hear it again again. And again, and again, there's never a point in our Christian life where we've heard it enough and we finally get it. Like every day I do a holy hour because I need to be reminded of it every single day. Because if I miss even one day, I can so quickly get into that desperate search for affirmation, for love, for attention. When I have all of that, I'll ever need in my father. So that's kind of what I mean by that.
1: Yeah. 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 I was, I was really I was really taken by um, uh, your, your thoughts on, well, let me back up step, obstacles that, that trip people up who are spiritually impoverished, uh, obstacles that trip them up in, uh, in pursuing spiritual poverty. Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the greatest obstacle, which are really self-imposed bonds, uh, is this thought that you're unlovable. And you feel you're unlovable with people in your life, that you have to earn their love and attention and affirmation and praise, but also that you're unlovable in the eyes of God, like even for devout Christians I've met out there who really feel they're still not lovable, like somehow they're even condemned. And I'm like, man, you are so loved. And I think that's what spiritual poverty does, is it finally lets the soul trust the truth that you are loved before you have anything to offer like your existence just your existence is a sign that god the father is loving you like yeah. um so does that kind of make sense uh,
1: absolutely absolutely uh, then i um i'm, I'm really taken by how, how essentially you're reframing uh uh an individual's view of their own personal uh Sufferings, losses, and hurts. Um, these are these are experiences that uh, um, most people want to uh, pound into the ground, forget about, <laughs> uh, work overtime to avoid and forget about. But it's a it's as as you describe them, it's almost like those experiences are doors to be opened uh, for opportunity to grow spiritually. Could could you talk a little bit about that or or a that's, lot of it really
3: yeah yeah and that goes to the third spiritual pillar bob you're so good just moving through each pillar in the book it's awesome but the third spiritual pillar is really the cross you know the cross at the heart of the spiritual life and recognizing that when jesus rose from the dead like he didn't get rid of his wounds like actually they were his hallmark There were that's how they recognized him and he's like letting the glory of the father shine through his wounds and i think that's a consolation to me because in my own spiritual poverty, which under the umbrella of spiritual poverty is your woundedness and your weakness and your human limitations and just humanness, like that, that's not something to be looked down upon. That's not something to be ever be ashamed of, especially your wounds, uh, because they're actually the doorways to heaven. Like Jesus is only relevant in your life because of your wounds. And they're not something that we should want to be rid of. Because honestly, that's what allows the power of God to shine through us. And that's what allows us to accompany others who are in pain and suffering in an authentic way, in a way that actually accompanies them from spiritual impoverishment to spiritual poverty, that they trust enough they are loved for exactly who they are, not as they should be. And that when you accompany this person as a somebody who belongs to this apostolate, you're helping that person trust more and more that this good news is for them, right? Like This isn't some theoretical like, oh, yeah, woundedness is... You know, God loves your wound. And, no, no, like this is real stuff. Like Jesus kiss your, He kisses your wounds. Like he just cherishes them and he treasures them. He's like, I don't want these to go away. He goes, This is what allows my power to shine forth to the world.
1: Yeah. 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 Well done. Yeah. These are real things, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. And I'm dominating. Uh, uh, come on.
2: Well, you know, I just wrote down something that you said. And it just letting the glory of the father shine through your wounds. So much shame is tied up in our wounds, right? And and there's so much shame around that. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about that and how this spirituality really can help you heal from that shame. I mean, God, I mean, you talked a little bit about it, but just, oh my gosh, I just, I can't, I can't. Um, stress enough how how much you know people are going to sit here and say but i you know god doesn't want to use my addiction you know what is my addiction gonna ha- how is that gonna what uh, that's ugly i want to hide that i want to hide right so to talk to us about that how to you know what does that mean i don't know yeah
3: absolutely and i think that's one of the things uh, that i talk about in the book is just vulnerability is a part of this mode of the apostolate where you're willing to be vulnerable enough to say like I not only like acknowledge my wounds I boast in them Mm. like I literally lift them up before others not in like an ostentatious way or like a way to draw attention to yourself but you're willing to lift them up from time to time to show others that God loves you even if you got this going on in your life it could be a wound it could be an addiction it could be you know whatever and like just to say yeah, like the I think the healing that we really need from our woundedness is not the we don't need healing for our wounds we need healing from the shame,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and I think that's the the other beautiful thing about uh, the, the core of the Serenian Apostle is saying you know the goal of this whole thing is to help people understand that they're actually loved as sons and daughters of God like mm-hmm. unequivocal unconditional and the reason for that is because it's a, it's a liberating experience for the soul that can't look up from their wounds like there's almost stuck, as Pope Francis says in mm-hmm. the book the name of God is mercy they can't lift their eyes from their wounds they're like how can God work with this why would God right. <clears throat> why would God still choose me because look at the wounds and then he's like exactly I want those wounds <laughs> <laughs> I that's
2: can use that's those where, wounds.
3: that's where I actually want to enter in because uh-huh. And that goes back to the relationship piece, being the streets of Calcutta in your life, all those in your sphere of influence, even if you're not sharing your woundedness, like in an overt way, the way you live out your life in peacefulness with that deep knowledge of your beloved son, beloved daughter of God, like that's just going to draw that person who's spiritually impoverished to you. Mm -hmm. And they're going to want to know more about like, how did you learn how to live at peace with who you are in the sight of God? And you're like, well, Let's talk about spiritual poverty. Like all he wants is your love and attention. He doesn't want anything else. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So yes. I, I, I'm thinking about that. Um, that idea of our our woundedness being free of shame and yet being a source of great compassion for us, right? I mean, how else are we going to really understand the pain of someone else if we don't acknowledge and I guess, I guess the technical term is integrate our pain. Right. Um, but know that it's a part of who we are and, but it's not, it doesn't define us, but it is something that God can use and does use. That's where the compassion piece comes in. Right. Yeah,
3: absolutely. I think our own wounds are the bridges to others ability to come to know Jesus and his love. Like he uses our wounds as the bridge not as an obstacle for your for jesus your wounds aren't an obstacle your addictions whatever it is like it's not an obstacle for him actually it's exactly what he needs to bring the good news of jesus to another soul Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think just seeing it for what it is to say like oh this is jesus chooses to work in the wounds and he he it's like so opposite of what the world would think Uh Uh, the eyes of the world, the mind of the world, which says like, oh, we have to lead from a place of strength, you know, and you can see some well-intentioned Christians falling into this mode of like, oh, I have to act like I have it all together, and I'm never disheveled, and I'm never kind of like out of order, you know, it's just like, I always have to have it together if I if I preach the name Jesus, but actually Jesus wants those who are broken and wounded, uh, broken and wounded, I mean, you look at the cross, right? Which is the crucifixion is the fullest revelation of who God is, period. And if that's the case, that means the only way that um, God will work through us is through our own brokenness and woundedness. I mean, Jesus is literally on display before the world. There's nothing glorious in the eyes of the world about that scene. It's horrific. It's tragic. Nobody wants to look at it. But for those with eyes of faith, they look at the crucifix and they're like, that's our power and our glory
0: hmm
3: like that's that's so like when we choose to lead from a place of weakness uh the world will never understand it because right but but for god that's exactly what he wants
2: that's where his presence becomes known right that's where he can be found I mean, that, and that's what he says, that my strength will be made perfect in your weakness. And and um, just think of a world where it's just okay to be not okay. I mean, just think about that. If, if, if there's a ripple effect of those kind of authentic encounters, one with another, I just can't help but think that the world will be healed that way, that souls know, will be saved that way, um, that that's what God intended. That's how he, he intends us. You know, we have a fallen world. He knows we're going to be sinful. He knows we're going to hurt each other. Um, he has the remedy um, and he gives it to us. He gives it to us in the form of Jesus. He gives it to us in the form of the cross. And, and we are here to, we're here to live that out. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to, I think that's going to bring great healing. If we, if we spread this, if you spread this, yeah, you know, absolutely. I think it's very yeah. important
3: yeah, because I think like the, the other temptation with thinking we have to lead from a place of strength if our witness to Jesus is to be effective uh, when actually we realize that it's from a place of weakness that God yes. shows his power through us. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it takes that burden off of the well-intentioned soul who says, well, I want to share the good news of Jesus. So I got to, someone comes to me with their pain and suffering. I have to coach them through it. I have to preach to them. Like I have to speak. Mm-hmm. The Cyrenian apostolate is one of very few words. To offer love and attention does not require a conversation. Mm. Right? Oh my goodness. Can you repeat that? Yeah. <laughs> to, offer, to offer love and attention does not require a conversation. it's a very quiet apostolate, very quiet mode of living and accompanying others. Because again, all it is is just saying like Simon of Cyrene, who probably exchanged few if any words with Jesus. But somehow that consoled the heart of Jesus, just the fact that he was with him in
1: his suffering father i'm I'm struck by uh, uh, um, uh well a, a line from from the early on in your book you talk about seeing with contemplative with contemplative eyes our savior savior deep within the eyes of the spiritually impoverished and i I'm reminded of uh uh of, video i saw a long time ago uh mother Teresa is famous for her five five word homily i think Uh, you did it to me um and and i'm i've i've always been struck by uh what makes what makes uh the power of the silence and accompaniment powerful is how the cywinian views that other person and then conveys that con, conveys that view and let me can I go on for another minute or so years ago I um uh, probably 30 35 years ago I, I was struck by uh and ended up doing uh, quite a bit of research on uh, the topic of resilient children and uh that was at a time when resiliency really wasn't talked about and uh um, now it's, it's, uh, it's used often, but, uh, um, I was struck then by an important element of helping young people become more resilient is to reframe their loss, suffering or, um, or, or trauma. Okay. To see it as opportunity rather, but, um, but I'm struck by how, how, so, oh, so, I, I think that's accurate, but I'm struck by how thin, uh, that, that assessment is relative to what you're proposing is, you know, in the context of a spiritual world. Uh, the, there's so much more meat here uh, and power, uh, and, it, and it seems to me that the key is uh, how how do we how do how does one develop that that view of the world to uh to say uh, uh, to to view others with those com- their contemplative contemplative eyes that obviously mother mother teresa does uh as she talks about you do it to me um and um and i'm i'm really uh i think that's so key you know and i'm i i attended a uh uh uh, first communion mass yesterday and I'm, I'm thinking here are these little kids and and I, I'm thinking a great deal about their parents you know um what do you ta- what do you what do you want those little kids to understand what do you want their parents to understand about how to develop those contemptu- contemplative eyes you know that allows um for what you're describing to to, to happen Yeah,
3: absolutely. It's a great point. And I think it it all comes back to in similar fashion as Mother Teresa to see in the eyes of the suffering, the eyes of Christ. Like when you look into someone's eyes, you don't see their eyes anymore. You just see the eyes of the Lord, like looking right back at you. Yes. And that's something that always stuck with me. And I think that contemplative gaze, uh, Pope Francis talks about it, too, in the name of God is mercy, which is that contemplative gaze out upon the world. Um, to actually see in the person right in front of me my lord i'm called to serve like it's jesus who's suffering in them and i think it's it takes a deeper contemplative look to do what the Cyrenian apostle' talking about because again the poverty of the person the impoverishment is not immediately apparent they might look like they're having it together and their life is going in the right direction they're meeting all these things like wealth pleasure power honor and and they're just like oh they're I would never suspect this person would be experiencing this kind of spiritual impoverishment. They're literally famished, you know, for this relationship with the Lord. Um, And I think it really is Eucharistic devotion, the devotion to the Eucharist, to adoration, you know, to look at the host and to train your eyes to see the Lord. And what looks like bread, it's like this, the strangest, Thing that we we uphold as catholics is the fact that our god is so humble and so egoless that he comes to us in what looks like bread like that eucharist that host teaches us to see god in every person in all things because if he can show up in what looks like bread in all of his glory totally hidden from our eyes right like we only see him with the eyes of faith You know, no one's, you know, ever stood there at mass and say like, oh, I saw all the angelic hosts around with the court of heaven like no our eyes our faith are drawn to this mystery. We really believe this is the same risen Christ that walked 2000 years ago. That's true for me. My goodness, like, I can't help but see him everywhere and in everyone like it just becomes a God when you believe in the Eucharist for what it really is, the true presence of, of Jesus the body blood soul and divinity. All of a sudden, you find yourself living in a God-saturated world, mm. you know, that God is literally just dripping off every encounter, every person, every experience. Um, you just are surrounded by his presence. And so the next time you encounter someone after receiving the Eucharist or doing Eucharist adoration, you're going to be able to look at them with that contemplative gaze and say, like, how can I find the suffering Christ and the suffering of this soul?
1: yeah.
2: Well, my heart is longing to read that book just one more time. And I know that our listeners will also be, I mean, this, this couldn't be a more perfect way to introduce this beautiful devotion. Now, is there a way that, um, is there a way that you carry it on? Or did you say there's groups or are you intending that there be groups of people to, to contemplate together?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, because it's such a like uh, quiet mode of a kind of apostolate, it really is the hidden interior life. It's, a, it's an interior commitment to the Lord. Um, but I, I, my prayer is, you know, if God willing, if God wills it, that people begin to find community around these groups of the Cyrenian apostolate, Cyrenian way. And so my first group of, of the gentlemen I gathered together, you know, as I was writing this book, was really like a test group like that. And these gentlemen who gathered around uh, each other in this apostolate, uh, again, hidden, no one knows about them. They just live in the world. Uh, But my prayer is that maybe the response to this book would be more of a a, a response and outreach to say, like, how can I find a group in my area? Uh, And so that's something that even with the group of gentlemen I gathered together through the beginning of this book, the next time we meet, that's actually what we're going to talk about it. And they brought it up. They're like, Father, all right, like, this book's here. I read it. Like how do we get involved? Like what happens? And I'm like, I think that's where, if this is really from the Lord, the Lord will do it.
2: Hundred mm, you percent.
3: know so. I can
2: vouch that for that. As in terms of this postulate of yeah. revive, open, healing, of which this beautiful book could be a guidebook for us. I mean, it it really affirms the spirituality of. Of our apostolate, yeah. and so I can guarantee you that we are all going to be reading it, um, and 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 following it because it just it really does put into a, a beautiful way of life for us what we're doing already, and small communities of Christians all around the world could be supported by this also, and yeah. um, just to give a guide and to say you know yes we need to go before the blessed sacrament that is not an extra. That's an essential, and uh, and just just to 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 be together in that beautiful community is um, is a, such an invitation. So I'm glad that you're going to be thinking about that, and I I, I love the process that you follow, The very discerning. This didn't happen overnight. It wasn't an instant thing. It unfolded over eight years, and God doesn't never is never in a hurry. So we'll just follow that and follow you, and um, we just really thank you for. Sharing your heart and this this beautiful devotion with us.
1: Yes, absolutely, Father. Thank you so much. One, one last thought on my part. Uh, every now and then I, I'm just struck by watching the invisible tentacles of Father Dar showing up in, in the most <laughs> unexpected places. And um and, and it's happened again here today, you know. Um, yeah. But, you know, he's, uh, a, he's
3: a great gift to our church to our diocese just yeah. doing so much hidden work yes. uh you know that all of a sudden you see it take surface and you're like wow that's amazing and so <laughs> thank you thank you both of you for your time on this wonderful um podcast it was a joy a pleasure and just so happy to share uh you know some of the good news of of this apostolate and and i think yes. i'll end on this that you know when i was writing it i thought no this this isn't meant to replace anyone's spiritual life you know it's not meant to be like a whole new paradigm shift for spirituality it's just meant to assist and support what the lord has already drawn you into so yeah. i think i'm so pleased to hear that even with yes. revival and healing you're like oh this is just like a support and a guide absolutely what yeah. i'm already doing you know an so
2: affirmation a validation yeah. Yeah. yes yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you yes. thank well thank you put
3: for- well could thank you, you send so us sub- Father.
2: Could you just send us off with a blessing
3: though? We could use a blessing. Father. Oh, Thank please. You. Yeah, absolutely. Thank In you. The Father and the son, and the Holy spirit. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing upon revive hope and healing ministry. I pray that through the intercession of St. Simon of Cyrene, they will never be afraid to enter into our own woundedness to recognize how loved that we are for who we are, not as we should be and to also allow ourselves to enter into the suffering of others, because as we carry the burden of others willingly, we fulfill the law of Christ. And we ask this through Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen. And we'll be praying for you, Father. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you, you, Father. It's a pleasure.
0: We're grateful that you joined us today for another episode of the Mission Revive podcast. We humbly ask for your prayers as we continue in the mission entrusted to us to evangelize and revive hearts with Jesus. We would also ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor of this podcast or making a financial contribution to support this growing ministry. You can do this by visiting our website at com or through our Revive Hope and Healing Ministries patron page. We cannot do this without you. Thank you.